Senator Blumenthal and I want to put everybody in this body and this Congress on notice that the threat of a use of a nuclear device by Russia is real. And the best way to deter it is to give them clarity, the Russians, as to what happens if they do that. They will be in a war with NATO. Poland is at immediate risk if the use of tactical nuclear weapons or destruction of a nuclear power plant causes radiation to spread, as almost certainly it would, causing significant human harm. This is not a kind of reckless or panicky resolution. It's based yes, it is. on fact and science, and it is meant science? to send a message. It's based on science. I love that. Where did, we, where did he get that language from? To Vladimir Putin, and even more directly to his military. They will be destroyed. <laughs> they will be eviscerated if they use tacti tactical nuclear weapons or if they destroy a nuclear plant in a way that threatens there we go NATO nation welcome to what's left a political discussion challenging the mainstream left I'm Eduardo Barca, co-host teacher in socialist Andy Lipson, uh, writing teacher Jessica, and community organizing socialist Kenny Cepeda. We're online at whatslifepodcast.com. You can find that link to our site in the episode notes, wherever you found this episode. Uh, and you can also find their personal social media handles as at Don Eduardo Barca and at FTKE on Instagram, and just a Twitter handle as at jhomie89. Uh, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications, and share your favorite episode wherever you found this episode. Um, thank you. All right. Um, welcome back, crew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was alone last week <laughs> and I was struggling and stumbling around my share. Uh, if anyone has uh, was listening, that was doing a live stream last week by myself for the very first time on What's Left. And it was awkward not having that back and forthy with anybody so and here today we have kenny with us so we're complete four uh <laughs> the fantastic four <laughs> of what's left um i don't really watch any of those marvel or i don't even know if it's marvel but anyhow the point is that we're uh here's the team and uh so andy you're back from iceland jess you're back from women's gathering if i'm not mistaken yeah, and North also Carolina. Yes. And Kenny, uh, from Daddy Duties and work-related jobs. So I'm glad you had an opportunity to be here with us. Uh, you know, let's give him a small update. But before we do give a small update, just a tiny bit, uh, let's discuss today's topic, which I think is important. Andy, uh, you have decided to give us the opportunity to share with us what's been going on with this ongoing saga of what's left episodes on uh, Russia, Ukraine, Ukraine, the U.S. meddling over there, and um, the war there, really. And yeah. uh, out of all of us, you're the one that has been kept in, been, been, I may be the wrong, Kenny, you might as well be it, but I'm not. I know I haven't. I know Jess has, has shared with us uh, that we haven't really been keeping as much on top of it as you have, Andy. And so I'm hoping that today we'll be discussing that in depth uh, 
from anything that you have been updated on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, first off, you did a great job last week. Uh, Eduardo. Yeah. Um, so well done. And the both of you pulling off that live stream two weeks in a row, that was great. I, I listened to both episodes um, and or all three episodes, actually. So well I like it. I think we should do more. <laughs> I like the vibe of the live stream. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> um, and so really what I'm hoping to do is, well, the, the reason I want to talk about what's going been going on in Ukraine, what is really the U.S.-NATO war with Russia and kind of China. So Ukraine is just the, I, in my opinion, Ukraine and that region is just the location where that where a war between the United States and NATO and Russia and China is starting. So I'm hoping to talk about these recent events, the the, the so-called coup uh, that took place recently that many people are making of, the counteroffensive that Ukraine has launched into. Um, but really, I, I, I recognize more and more that not that that we're very much caught in a fog of war. Um, now, people who fight a war are, are in a fog of war. It's very confusing uh, on the battleground, but for the people who are trying to make sense of it from outside, whether you're in the United States or Russia or Ukraine or China or Europe, there's a, I think there's a fog of war because there's just to separate misinformation from information. Um, and I just want to talk about my best guess at what I think is going on um, and share that with you. Uh, I know that Kenny's been also paying attention to this and I'm Kenny, I'm glad you're joining us um, this week. Um, I'm not saying you two aren't, but, Really, this is you all helping no, me. No, we aren't. I've been offline for like okay, yeah. eight days, so I'm, yeah. I'll be just listening. <laughs> well, it'll be you ask either asking questions or helping me make sense of seeing if I can make sense of what I'm seeing and coming to some kind of understanding about it. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert, but I am paying a lot of attention. And so I just want to share what I think I know, or rather the information that I have in my head. I can't tell you whether they're lies or the truth. Um all I can tell you is this is what this is what I this is what I've heard from various sources, um, and I'm hoping y'all can help make sense of it for me, and maybe we can come to an understanding together because this stuff isn't over. Like, and I don't believe this this conflict is ending anytime soon, um, and so it's taking it's taking a new turn, and I think it's again a dangerous turn. And I want to talk about that. About oh, and I also want to talk about this question of civil war. Um, because I think people have really gotten, well, I think civil war is a big deal in relationship to this war. Um, and I want to talk about that. Hopefully, we'll see if we have time. All right. Oh, but first, we should have Kenny tell you a little bit about how things are for him, where he's been. I mean, we kind of know, but uh, maybe give us an update and then we can get into it. Sorry. All right. Sorry. Hi. It's like such, such a segue. <laughs> Civil War. Now tell us about your baby. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Our baby is raising hell. You know, uh, it's been almost a month. Uh, she's a month tomorrow. Uh, and so, you know, she's still a newborn. Uh, we are adapting, you know, sharing the joys and challenges of, you know, of being new parents. Uh, and so... Yeah, you know, like, it's an exciting time. It's also a challenging time. Um, I was talking to you uh, about, you know, the long hours that I was working. Uh, I did get a couple of weeks, so I don't qualify for parental leave yet. 
because I started, you know, like seven months ago. So I had to, you know, be there a year until I qualify. And so I had to take a leave of absence for two weeks. And then something that, you know, I guess we never got into. Um, so Cristal ended up having an emergency C-section because, you know, she was induced and, you know, we knew that that was a risk, right? Like once you're induced, you need some more interventions. We knew this going in and she ended up having a, a C-section. So obviously that prolongs recovery. In two weeks, it's not enough to be with a partner that had just had T-section. And so that was a challenge. And on top of that, like through pregnancy, you know, and the swelling, um, Cristal had some issues with her hands, with her wrists, and it, it may have caused nerve damage. She's just having a hard time feeding the baby. Um, and so last week, I actually decided to quit my job. You know, I said, fuck it, you know, because it was affecting her, affecting us. And, you know, um, I did call, I called in, I called HR, they were never getting back to me and, you know, I quit. And then the next day they called me back and they gave me another week because I had already requested it and no one had gotten back to me. You know, HR is just, you know, they're good at disciplining, you know, to, you know, you know, the HR. And, and so I got another week. And so I'm supposed to go back this Monday. Um, we don't have any answers when it comes to nerve damage, any solutions, uh, the medical system, you know, is shit. You know, that's something that, you know, we've confirmed. We uh, were nervous about, uh, you know, I was talking to Cristal, you know, and to see if what she wanted me to share or, you know, and I guess one thing that she said that happened is that all, those, all that she feared would happen in the hospital happened. Wow. It, it, the only saving grace is that we did have a couple of nurses that were amazing um, in, you know, at the risk of, you know, putting someone in danger. One of the nurses even shared their hesitations about the COVID vaccines and their vaccines for their own kids. And so they even shared their vaccination plan. They still vaccinate their kids, but they don't, they eliminate a lot of the vaccines, um, but they do question things. And so that was the one saving grace because the OBGYN doctor was an arrogant asshole that we didn't want taking care of, Cristal. And she actually didn't. It was someone else at the end of the day. So there was some saving grace. It's been traumatic. It's been intense. Uh, we're trying to make a living, right, in in, in this context, uh, in raising a kid and keeping the family together. And so that's what we're navigating. Um, right now, I, I'm still not, a, I'm going to give it a go. I have to still pay bills. Uh, but, you know, I'm willing to quit at any point if, you know, it, it's too hard. You know, and that's what I was asking Eduardo. How can I make a living outside of being, you know, indoors at someone's will for 11 to 12 hours? Because some, we don't most, we don't own our weekend either at this job. Like if they want to work six days, we have to work. It's mandated, you know, and it's actually built into the fucking laws of California that you have to work, you know, overtime. And so, you know, little by little, I think we've experienced the different levels of the, the leash has been pulled and janked in different ways. Uh, also with the whole vaccinating our kid, like it, it's starting. You know, we've had awkward moments with the pediatrician um, and, you know, we've managed to keep our kid like unvaccinated until now. Um, and, you know, she's fine. She's doing great. She's uh, eating fat and, you know, she's, she's a happy baby. And, you know, we want to make sure she's still a, a happy baby, you know. For a lot of time to come and 
yeah. So that's that's basically it. You know, a lot of shit, but you know, seeing our baby, uh, her, her, every, you know, like step, every new achievement, you know, it, it's beautiful, you know, and and it's like you're, she's walking. <laughs> I know she's she's in college, man. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's she's growing fast. You know, people do did tell us that, and and. You know, it's it's been a month and she's already different than she was a week ago, <laughs> two weeks ago. Wow. And what's her like what's her personality like? Well, she is a warrior. <laughs> we think, you know, like I don't know if that's just us, but she has mighty strength, like physical strength. A lot of people have commented on that. Like she will like she's feisty, she doesn't like the swaddle all the time. So she'll sneak out of the her hands out, you know, and like and come out of the swaddle and like if she's not happy she's not happy but she also relaxes and you know and yeah so you know she's developing a personality still but she's feisty <laughs> and what about for you as a dad what have been some experiences or what's that been like fatherhood oh i mean i still i'm still trying to figure that out i think uh, i mean i think uh the pressure of providing, you know, is different, you know, like uh, some voices that I thought I had left behind have come back into my head, you know, like, and I'm fighting those, but I look at her and I'm like, you know, you, you're the reason, you know, we have to push and, and fight. And so it's been challenging. I mean, I'm happy, you know, like I can't believe it. I'm still adjusting. But it also feels like a lifetime ago because I mean, we're, we got to wake up every two hours and feed her and be with her, you know, and and find ways to suit her, you know, when she's fussy and, you know, trying to figure out what she needs. So I think right now I'm learning, I'm learning. And, you know, I think Rizal too, she's learning. We're both trying to figure it out, but it's good. And, and also like, did you, did you want to come back to this episode because we're talking about Russia and all the US Ukraine? Cause I know you've been paying attention to that. Yeah, you know, I've been wanting to come back. Um, I've struggled uh, because I've been disconnected a bit. You know, like I do keep up. I do watch the news. I do glance at things. Um, I just, I, was, I think I, that 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 voice inside my head questioning whether I had something to contribute. But actually, what Crystal has been encouraging me to do it because you know, it's, she knows that this is a space where I feel like me. You know, I have a grasp, you know, to a degree and I enjoy it and it's therapeutic. But listening to Alison's episode, the one Eduardo you mentioned, actually kind of triggered something like pushed me over, you know, and, you know, because this is the place that I think I have to be. This is where I want to be, you know, doing this kind of stuff, like speaking up, using my brain, you know, uh, rather than being in close 11 hours and, you know, just... But so, yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot to me to be here because um, this is who I am. Oh, welcome back. It's good to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. And yes, everyone should go and listen to Alison McDowell's recent um, episode. I think it was four days ago. And she is a trooper. She is something else. You know, the things that she's still doing. All right. Um, and that's the episode where she talks about her family troubles and stuff like that, correct? Yeah. I mean, 
I think more than anything, I love the way that she frames what she's going through. Mm-hmm. More, more than just getting the inside scoop and the cheesement. It's not about that for me. It was the way she framed what is happening for her in her life and what's happening in the world and how all these systems from Web4, blockchain, uh, data-driven economies, and uh, I forgot how she named the dating apps and stuff, but she called it something around like a, a attention attention token uh, systems that we are all indulging in. It's just the way I, I love how she really is giving us a chance to see that it affects anybody, even her. So anyhow, I, I'm I'm appreciative of her being vulnerable on her blog, on on her channel. And it's getting harder and harder to find someone like Alison because she's disconnecting from social media. And she might just disconnect one day from YouTube. You know, she is on a path. And uh Jason bought Bosch, Bosch, sorry, I'm butchering, but but Bosch, uh, wow. he, yeah, he has also shared his struggles with his relationships. Um, but anyhow, I digress. We we thank you, Kenny, for bringing her up. And if she triggered something in you to be inspired to be here, welcome back. I really do think she is an amazing individual. Whatever her relationship is to this West Left podcast, she's always welcome here. She has a seat at the table. Allison, we have you. Wait, we're waiting for you. <laughs> so through that through that anyhow all right um uh, welcome back jessica as well from your women's uh gathering i really am looking forward to hearing something about that as well as andy we're gonna have to have a whole episode on these things everybody <laughs> there's a lot going on including me and my colleague the interpreter the other day telling me to use inclusive language and i was like ah! <laughs> in spanish <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. Let's get let's get to this. I think we're we're gonna have to cover a lot today. Uh, Angie, <laughs> I feel like I feel like we just have to have a, a, a return episode. Then we can. I have know. Episode. I know. You see. What do I do, um, Andy? Do we cut this right, part? So do we? I don't know. Wait. Say again. You what do we do? <laughs> oh. Okay. Well, no. I'm gonna. I I'm gonna start now. Um, All right. All right. <clears throat> so. Um, well, first off, let, let me just do this because there's I've written down four things I want to talk about: the state of the war, um, the Prigozhin coup, and Wagner. Um, who is winning the war? Like that's always a question. Like who's winning? Uh, yeah, is Ukraine winning? Is the United States winning? Is Russia winning? Um, and then I hope to get to this question of civil war, um, which has come up around. And 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 this is also about sources because um, I read U.S. mainstream media, The Economist. I read New York Times, Washington Post. I pretty much treat it like lies, but I know that there's some truth in it. Um, most of the things that I believe come from sources who are critical of the U.S. entry into this war. Um, Colonel Douglas McGregor, Scott Ritter, the New Atlas, uh, the Duran. Um, history legends. Um, this guy W E E B. I don't know what his name is, but he he posts daily on what's going on in the war. Uh, those are some of the sources. Also, um, this big surge, um, who's a little bit more neutral, but we'll say stuff about it. And and the issue is is there's there's kind of two 
two tales being told, right? One side, <clears throat> the U.S. side, was Russia is weak. Ukraine has exposed the weakness of Russia. Uh, Russia is 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 unsteady, and you know Ukraine's going to win this war. And Russia has had massive losses, two hundred thousand KIA and things like that. Ukraine has had some losses, right? That's one. That's one tale over here. And then the other tale is no. Ukraine um, has actually suffered an immense. Has actually suffered two hundred thousand losses. Russia economically is strong. Russia is actually had some issues in the beginning, um, but actually some of those issues were related to what the what their immediate aims were because they weren't really trying to take over Ukraine. Um, and so the way they prosecuted the initial special military operation that, that they call it, um, there was a reason that they were sort of light touch around it because um, they wanted to get a negotiated settlement, and then that. Negotiated settlement was scuttled by the United States and Britain, um, and but but the fact is is these folks report the war as Ukraine is having tons of losses. U.S. and NATO are struggling to, to supply them with weapons, um, and Russia and they're the ones who are desperate, not Russia. Even though Russia is is actually taking losses, um, so the question for me was like, who's telling the truth? And I've tended towards those people on the second side, and and I think there are some. Things that have happened in this last month that have confirmed some of the things that those people I'm listening to are right. But I actually think there are some things that are happening that also indicate that the U I get I'm starting to get what the US is trying to do. Um, and there are people who think you the US cannot like the, the people who I listen to pretty much think it's a slam dunk. Russia's gonna win, Ukraine's gonna be pretty much. A, a rump state or gone, um, and the U.S. and NATO are going to have to figure out are going to come to the peace table with some Ukrainian somebody there um, trying to sue for peace. Basically, that's that's this theory they have, and I don't think that's what's going to happen. Um, but I, but I also don't think U.S. is going to win. What you don't think what's going? You don't think that there will be uh, an agreement eventually where they will take parts like Crimea. Not, not any time. In my opinion, I'm just, I'm just calling my shot now. I think we are, we are in a protracted, long war. Well, as long as it takes to get to the place. Again, it, it's just, an, it's in a long, it feels like a long escalating war. But it's not a war that's Ukraine, Russia. This is, this is a war between the United States and Russia, United States and Russia, and it's a war between U.S. and NATO and Russia and China. And so, this war is just starting, in my opinion. And so that's that's what I but but I want to talk about what things are confirmed and not confirmed about the various sources I'm listening to. And I have to say, at the end of the day, I don't actually know what's happening. I do my best to make sense of it because there's just so many lies and there's not just lies from the U.S. side. There are lies from the Russian side as well. Of course, they're lying. They have to lie because they're a capitalist state, just like the United States. And they are interested only in their own imperial aims. Um, which is something that in some ways some of the people who are saying the things that I'm listening to are kind of hoping Russia wins because they think that if Russia wins, if Russia can defeat Ukraine and the United States, that will have this kind of peaceful multipolar world where everyone has to share. And that I feel like that's an illusion. Um, and I think this really is about Russia not being willing to lose. So Russia must win. And U.S. not being willing to lose, so U.S. must win. 
And that's what we are faced with. We are faced with two big, gigantic forces who will refuse to lose and who must win. So that's what I think we're seeing. And so I don't see an end to that anytime soon. And if it does end, it's going to end really badly unless, and I would say, unless we have a civil war. So that's why I want to talk about civil war. Okay. When, when you um, say we have a civil war, you mean here in the U.S.? Well, it's going to, we need a civil war in the United States and sec, sec, we need a civil war in Russia. Yes. And, and it's been interesting to see how the people who are kind of hoping Russia wins when they think, when they saw the civil war, a, a so-called civil war emerge, and I want to talk about whether that was, they got really upset at Prigozhin and Wagner or Prigozhin. And he, they were singing his praises before. They got very upset. He's a, he's a traitor. He's, he's, he's like, he's a double agent. And he, and I'm like, why would you be like, if there is a civil war, this is the only, I mean, and it isn't, this is really the only thing that's going to stop these forces is a civil war, is a popular uprising. Now, Prigozhin doesn't represent a popular uprising, but your country is going to have, that country that's having the civil war is going to have to be defeated. Like the civil, the people who are fomenting the civil war are going to create a situation where their country is no longer willing to be able to do the war. So they must lose that war then. And so that's revolutionary defeatism. It's basically, so I just saw a lot of people who, and even left, left wingers who support, who are against what U.S. is doing, almost come out against civil war. Like they want Russia to hold on and be able to win this war. And like, that's an illusion. So I'm kind of talking ahead of myself. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, all right. There might be. Oh, I have one question. How, yeah. Like how many of the, I, I don't know, like the whole multipolar, basically pro-Russia. Pro when you're like grouping sources, are you mostly talking about like kind of like Western, like, oh, sorry, Jasmine, um, like Western independent media yeah. types? Or are you looking at like Russian sources or? I'm not looking, I don't look at many Russian sources. I look at people who are probably looking at the Russian sources and they're mostly either Western European or US who are looking at U.S. sources, but also Russian sources for the information. Even just like translation, I feel like it adds like a whole nother layer of murkiness because it's like anybody who doesn't speak Russian cannot be looking at primary source material, right? I mean, I would still say that whether I was looking at prime, if you're looking at primary material in the United States, you're looking at lies. So, yeah. And if you, I would say that if you're looking at primary material in, the, in Russia, you're looking at a different set of lies. Um, so, for instance, one of the things that people have been critical of Prigozhin for was he actually exposed, like they said that he was against the war in in, in Ukraine. And, and I, I don't think that's entirely true. I think he's against the way it's been prosecuted. And he thinks it's been mismanaged. And he thinks people are unnecessarily dying. And he thinks this war can end sooner if there was different leadership. And I think that's all, and I don't mean Putin leadership, but the, the, the military leadership, which is, and he thinks Wagner must be held together, you know, as part of that. Um, but one of the, one of these criticisms that he raised was the fact, this notion that Russia has been liberating Donbass. And he's kind of talking about in 2014, 2016, and 2000, before the war, how much the, how the Russian military People in the Russian military were getting rich off of the Donbass, off of that region. 
And I'm not surprised at that at all. Of course, that it's. I mean, the pro, it's there are two proxies here. Donbass is, is a buffer state for Russia to fight NATO. Ukraine is a proxy region for U, Russia to fight. I mean, for U.S. to fight Russia. So these two, these two regions are being used by the big powers. And Prigozhin just happened to say that. And somehow people think he's being like wrong or traitorous to say something or he's, that is ridiculous to say. And I'm, I'm like, I don't think it's a ridiculous thing at all to say. It's, it, it makes complete sense because these are both vassal states and Russia is an imperial power and it's going to use its, its, its might to enrich itself, enrich its own oligarchy. Hold on. I guess my question is, what can you trust? <laughs> Because and, it's, it's, and it's and that's the thing is like a bunch of people here trusting trusting Biden or trusting the U.S. But then you have a bunch of people who I think are doing some good reporting, trusting Putin. I don't know, it's not a question of Putin thug. It's it's a question of these are these are just people who represent powerful states who are only interested in ruling the world. Do and, you think that comes from just like a reactionary like? Because they might consider themselves like anti, well, they I get probably they would label themselves like anti-imperialist, but really it's just anti-imperialist when it's, you know, well, the U.S. Off, and therefore they're just yeah. like the only other path that they see is like basically pro-Putin. Right. The the biggest framework that I would say is most of them are pro-capitalist, so they think that there's a way for to get this resolved under capitalism. I don't think that's true, but they think. So they're going to think that there's some leader, there's some country, there's some order that can be set up. And this is why the multipolar order is like, maybe the U.S. can be go down a peg, Russia comes up a little bit, China comes up a little bit, and everyone has to share. And they're thinking that somehow that'll contain things. And that's because they don't believe that capitalism is, is a profit-driven competitive system that is prone towards crisis and will destroy the planet or destroy humanity unless we have a revolution. They don't believe that. So that's that section of people. And then there are left leftists who who think that Putin is is an anti-imperialist of some sort and can by weakening the United States somehow helps the helps the side of of anti-imperialism. And that's only true if you're building a revolutionary movement in this country whose aim is to foment a civil war in this country to take down your government through the act of it fighting a war. And conversely, that has to be, because this is an international movement, we need that to be happening in Russia. So if there was a civil war brewing in Russia, honestly, most leftists should be like, well, that's kind of a good thing. Now that, that gives us a chance of getting out of this thing. Because in my opinion, the only way out of nuclear, out of this that avoids nuclear war is revolution in any in the respective combat in, in the respective countries revolution in the united states revolution in russia revolution in china and oh my goodness and, and if you and and that revolution is going to ensure that that country is going to lose that war like you can't win a war and have a revolution it's entirely true like it's it, it hurts the war aims so when prigozhin has what they call a coup which again i don't think it was but it it was an armed protest um, what it was protesting, I think, was not to take Putin down, but to do something else. Um, what was that? Was to do something else? Um, I think it was to maintain number one to maintain w Wagner as an independent force. 
Um, that was the first thing. And secondly, to basically get Garasimov and Shoigu, who are the two top military leaders who've been running this war, and who I believe he believes, and he believes there's other people critical in the Russian military of Shoigu and Gerasimov. He believes those people have to go because they're that people are dying unnecessarily because this war is being extended. And I think he thinks if they go, if they go, the, U, the Russia can get onto the offensive, and Russia can end this war. And again, I don't agree with him, but I, but just like the United States, there are forces within the in Russia that are impatient, that are that are feeling the effect of the thousands of people who have died in Russia and the, the effect it's having on their population. Um, I understand Russia is not economically suffering right now. In fact, it's done very, fairly well in relationship to like Europe. But I do believe that, and there's evidence, right? Like um, it wasn't just Prigozhin who was sent to Belarus. Now you're seeing other, there's another guy in the, uh, his name. I can't remember his name. Let's see. Uh, so, so, let me try to get his name. There was another a ally of um, uh, Prigozhin who is now being, who, who we're, we're not hearing about, who it looks like he's being um, kept and possibly arrested. Uh, he's a general or a high up in the military. So I think it's well known that there's criticism within the Russian military about this war. And that's because the U.S., the U.S. proxy war has put Russia under pressure, and that pressure has created cracks within the military apparatus. And I think, I think Putin got through this one, but I think the U.S. has every reason to believe that if they can ramp up the pressure, they can create more cracks. I guess I just wanted to kind of get into the more this like. The coup, you know, why it's been sold as a coup in like Western media, um, you know, to kind of like begin unpacking all this because, uh, like, at least for me, you know, this was confusing. You know, when I first heard this, you know, coup attempt happening, right? Like, I had a friend who reached out to me and it's like, hey, like, and this friend was really freaking out, you know, like, oh, like something bad is going to happen. You know, Russia is going to, you know, they're, you know, they're facing a coup, Putin is going down, bombs are going to fly. And, um, but the, the reason I bring this up and the reason I wanted to be here, be here is because, you know, like you said earlier, Lipson, this is, this is a fog of, you know, the fog of war, the fog of understanding, you know, like I, I, I always, I also question, you know, these, these people who we are listening to, because I also listen to Scott Reader uh, Garland Nixon, they discuss this stuff. You know, those are two people that I listen to a lot, and and they do have this position where like they they see Russia right like as this formidable uh, uh, opponent that is being misrepresented, right? And that you know, I think implicit in their arguments is that you know, multipolar world that I think they imagine uh, that might bring stability, and you know while omitting, you know, like mutual assured destruction, which is part of the equation here, you know, on both ends, right? Like, uh, and so I guess, I mean, I guess my question is that, you know, like what, what was your first reaction when you saw the coup, you know, like in the news and, 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 and you know, and how did you wrestle with that? Because for me, I, I took a pause. I, my first reaction like you was this is, a, there is some lies behind this. There's a smoke screen. 
you know, this is not the story. We got to wait and see. And I didn't get more answers until I, until I read the article you sent us to read, uh, which has a more persuasive, you know, um, logical, you know, uh, I think for me, explanation of what happened because it gives some like autonomy to uh, uh, the Wagner and the, what, what is his name again? Pergosian. Uh, Pergosian, yeah. It gives more, you know, autonomy and decision making in the process because he's in Western media. He's being presented as this like puppet. He actually gets more, a lot of. He's getting a lot of attention, you know, in the media, and he's in, you know, he's presented as this faction that's like acting, you know, beyond the, the reach of Russia and presenting Russia as a weak, you know, uh, military, you know, unit, right? Like because they have this like rogue you know, actor in which there is truth to that. Uh, but again, there there is so much uh, misrepresentation that it's, it's hard to follow. So like, how did you approach, you know, that, that first wave of information that, that said, you know, there is a coup in Russia? Because I, I gotta say for me at first, I thought it was ridiculous. And, and I think to a degree it was ridiculous because they didn't have the military capacity to walk all the way to, to Moscow and expect, you know, like uh, to take over, you know, if there was no faction, you know, fracture in, in, in the Russian government, because to some degree, the, the Russians have, you know, uh, uh, gone through this stress test. This, this is one, right? Like there may be more coming later, but they have survived this stress test. And I think that is the persuasive argument in this uh, article that you sent us. Well, the the first thing was, is Jeff Strahl had, was the first person who sent me something that said, something, somebody put something up on Substack that said that there was a, you know, that, that there was a military march on, on Russia that wasn't really at that point being called a coup or insurrection, I, I believe. I'm not sure if it was at that time. Um, and, and the first thing I had to do was confirm that there was, that, 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 that was happening and it did, that, that was happening as far as I could tell, you know, um, and everyone, the, the, the West was reporting it. And the people who I've listened to was reporting it. Um, I think the thing that that tipped me off, well, that made me question. I, I understand why the U.S. was going to call it a coup and instability. I get them that that's that's how they're going to talk about it because now it gives them one a way of talking about the fact that the counteroffensive is not going well, and it makes it it re it reinvigorates the war so they can now go to NATO and say let's we can one up again. We can go back to Congress and say, let's go put some more, we buy some more bombs and buy some more stuff and get F-16s in there and things like that. Um, and in fact, it, it has also helped, it has helped burnish this, there's a Senate bill that's Graham and Blumenthal are putting forward talking about how the United States is prepared to defend NATO if Russia uses limited nuclear weapons or if there's a nuclear accident in their pro in their territory so it, it, it again this is another escal escalatory ac action that i think is very dangerous um and at the same time russia was sending nuclear limited tactical nuclear weapons to belarus recently you know um again an, a, a a um an escalation um but when people who had in the past said no Prigozhin's not fighting because their Prigozhin had been critical of the of the of the top brass uh before um they were saying he, he's not fighting with them. This might just be like theater. Um, and and suddenly, when Prigozhin took this action, suddenly everyone was saying like, "Oh, he's he's paid by the CIA." Uh, it, it was just like 
they flipped. Like the people I was flipped, and I was like, "What? What happened? Like that's not how I was viewing Prigozhin. Prigozhin seemed somewhat independent, but not independent. Wagner is somewhat independent, not and not independent. Wagner was a creation of the Russian state, but it it was a private creation, so it allowed it to put its troops in Africa and and into um and to the Middle East without Russia saying that they're there. Like that's one of it, it was constructed by the Ru- the Russian state to be an independent force or to, to give it plausible deniability so it doesn't ex- seem like an, an actual imperial power in the way that U.S. does. Um, and they happen to have developed as their, I don't know why, what the history of Wag- Wagner was that made it this way, but it seems to have been a very effective fighting force. Um, and it has become a kind of special forces, like a, a special forces unit that grew from 8,000 before the Ukraine war to about 50,000 uh, at the near the near the end here. Um, now they had some losses through that prison program that which they but it grew to a size and it grew to some level of um, of prestige. So it was just strange to me that suddenly people were flipping the script on Prigozhin talking about him in a, in a different way. And so I wanted to look more deeply into this. And I found when I looked at it, it was fairly clear. That, that the Russian state has been trying to chip Wagner down. Uh, in February, they basically said, you are not allowed to go back to the prisons to, re- to rebuild your, your force because some of their prisoners were allowed to go because they had done their time. Um, and so Russia said, no, you can't recruit from prisoners anymore. And then they said that in February. Um, and then two months later, Russia, for its own military, basically said, we're going to recruit from the prisons, Right. Um, and secondly, July 1st was the day that basically Wagner wasn't going to exist as a force because everyone from Wagner was supposed to basically sign on to become part of the, of the, of the Russian military. Now, I think the plan was to take the elite, these elite elements, break them up within the Russian military and have them sort of train up their prisoners plus their troops, basically put, uh, elite cadres into each section of the military. And, and, and kind of like make all their entire military stronger. I think that was the rough plan. But I think the people in Wagner who had really benefited from the fact that they were seen as elite squad, they got more artillery than many of the other units. They were generally given what they were want, wanted when they had to go in. And they got a lot of support from the Russian military in terms of they have their own air force, but they also had some support from the Russian military. They could see that they, they felt like they were going to be in a much more dangerous situation for themselves if they were fighting this war within the, what they saw as a kind of a broken Russian military versus what they've been fighting in in Wagner, which they think is not broken, which works very well. So that's what I think. And the people, so they were like, you're breaking apart our, our, our army. Um, We trust this much more than we trust your system. And again, this, this is why that, this issue of a criticism of the Russian military runs through this, because I do think, Beyond even Wagner, there has been there are critics there are critics of the way that the Russia has prosecuted this war. Who think if they would have done it differently, Russia would not be in the situation right now where it's now a year and a half into the war, and it and no end in sight really. Um, uh, although this counterattack by Ukraine has been a hor- I would say has been a horrible loss for U- Ukraine. Um, but what will Russia do with it? Russia is still losing people. And again, remember, U.S. isn't 
Like, I don't think you, this, this is not about Ukraine winning this war. This is about the United States bleeding Russia. And they are bleeding Russia. And now it may take every 10 Ukrainians to, to kill one Russian, but they're still bleeding Russia. And it looks to me like once Ukrainian is bled white, Ukraine is bled white, Russia, you, then U.S. is going to say, well, we got Poland right next door and we got NATO right next door and we'll use Poland to bleed Russia. Then we'll bleed Russia with NATO. And so that's what this is about. U.S. is bleeding Russia and they are succeeding at that. I think they would have liked the, the ratio to be better, but they're still getting what they want. And it's and and it's still creating problems in Russia. And that's why I think that's why we're not just seeing Prigozhin be a crackpot. He's representative of the fact that splinters are there in the Russian military by virtue of the pressure brought to it through a war against the U.S. and NATO. I just want to make a side note. Um, uh, so in terms of mercenaries, right? Like Wagner Group is called mercenary group. They are, you know, in my view, um, you know, they're guns for hire, right? In, in a way, they represent. They're doing the bidding. Uh, they're not because the Wagner Group is not formally, right? Like part of the Russian military. And I, I only bring this up because, uh, you know, I, I think for me it's important to point out that. This is not a new thing, you know, like uh, my friend, you know, who kind of rose the alarm about Russia, he was sort of like scoffing at, oh, you see, this is why you don't hire mercenaries, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, like, in my view, like, this is not a new thing. The U.S. hires guns all the time. We had, you know, guns for hire in, in Afghanistan and Iraq in, you know, so I don't know if you have any comments about that. I do. I would not. I mean, every, all, every gun is for hire. Whether you get a state paycheck or a private paycheck, you're a gun for hire. So the entire all militaries are mercenary armies. Okay, first of all. Secondly, um, I there is such a thing called Blackwater in this country. If Blackwater came into a city and like and occupied it, you wouldn't have people dancing around them. Now, there's also something called the French Foreign Legion, which itself is like a mercenary force in France. Now that one culturally, people have a lot of pride in. I would actually say Wagner is, and this is something I just heard from Doug, Doug, Colonel Douglas McGregor. So I'm stealing this from him, but I, I agree with him. I think Wagner is better understood as like the French Foreign Legion than Blackwater, because people in Russia seem to have an immense pride because they see that Wagnerians are often Russians, not exclusively Russian, but often Russia, and they take pride in the in the fighting force that they've shown um, and their ability to, you know do what make russia look like a strong country and they have they've they were they were decisive in syria and they were they've been recently decisive in an offensive in bakhmut um and and even before then for think for offensive move, mo movements that russia was able to make uh, earlier in the war they rob wagner played a key role um so the russian i think the russian people take a lot of pride in their military but in wagner in particular so that I don't think people feel that way about Blackwater here in this country. And so that's why I would say it a little differently. And again, like that, that is part of the equation. You know, this is not new to Russia. This is not unique to Russia, you know, where they have these splinter groups that, you know, do the right, like they're not supposed to be part of the formal unit. You know, fucking British did it with pirates. You know, they use pirates to fucking ransack, you know. And so it's part of the equation, and you know, in, in, in dealing with like the turns that those might take. 
you know, fucking like the, you can argue, right? The Taliban, you know, was a U.S. group that then you know flipped over, and and the U.S. ended up fighting. And so, just to you know, be conscious that that is part of just war. Period. Yeah, yeah, and oh, go ahead. I I I have been hearing a lot of the BBC say that as that the Belarusian president um, Lukashenko has been you know, de- um, negotiating back and forth. But then, then they come, uh, the Wagner group has now sought out, or they are in exile, or however you would, I would just say it in, in Belarus. Uh, what strikes me as interesting is that I think of Putin normally being very intolerable and that this wouldn't be something that he would tolerate and that would show strength or domination or even try to demonstrate to the rest of Russia to not ever have this happen ever again in this country. And could you say anything about that? I wonder why was this approach taken? And uh, given, I think, Putin's stance, even with people who have defied him, such as uh, very elite class folks that he poisoned or even uh, uh, attempted to kill uh, uh, the de- fires uh, who were protesting at the time before or at February of last year with the Ukrainian uh, uh, with the with the war that was happening in Ukraine. So I'm trying to figure this out. How is this approach different um, than before? Yeah, the like who benefits question is like on my mind too. Like just having, partially because I've just missed all this. Like I read the article you sent, that's literally it. But yeah, like that's part of the confusion with this particular latest. Yeah. So I'm confused about like who, yeah, like even, even in like the hypothetical, like trying to map the motivations of all the different parties involved. Well, First off, um, well, I I guess what I would say is let's put up January 6th next to this, right? And January 6th compared to this, like this is actually much, the thing that's recently happened has a much more of an insurrectionary insurrectionary character than January 6th. January Mm -hmm. 6th was literally a joke. And yet we saw the thugs of our government come and crack down on those people hard, right? So. If you're going to talk about thuggery, and if you're really going to look and say, who is the crazy, wild-eyed thug who will fuck you over at any moment, you got to be talking about Joe Biden. You can't be talking about Putin because they went after January 6th, which, isn't, which is not even close to an insurrection, hard. Now, now they had reasons. They, they, they were making an example because they were planning on changing the way the state operated, and they're planning on cracking down on the entire population. Similar story here, I guess I'm going to say. Putin has the same motivation Joe Biden does. He wants, and or the the Russian state has the same motivation that the that the that the U.S. state has, which is it 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 knows that it's going to divide. It's the rich are going to get richer and the poor are going to get poorer in their own country. They know that they want to expand, and so they are going to have to consolidate more power to themselves in order to do that. So Putin finds himself in the same situation, but faced with a protest, I would call it a protest, from something that represents 30,000 elite military force 
that's well, that's politically respected and well loved by many Russians. I don't think it, I don't think it's going to serve Putin that much to go after them like that. In fact, it serves him in some ways better to, sh- to say, look, Prigozhin gets to just go to Belarus. And in fact, I think the Wagner force of some sort is going to still be re- uh, held intact there. And that's actually somewhat useful because if Wagner completely disappears and is completely absorbed into the Russian military, then then Russia has no basis for call it, for saying that it doesn't like all its places where Wagner is in Africa or Middle East are suddenly exposed as Russia. So you'd kind of want to keep your 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 private group around so that you can still have plausible deniability that I'm not an imperial power. This is just Wagner acting. I mean, that's how I see it at least. Um, but I think that Putin was in a situation where had he gone hard at these folks, I do think there would have been more of a response because I do think there's criticisms about the Russian military. And I do think there's there's people who like Wagner and appreciate what Wagner is. And I do think the people in Wagner would have fought back. They were going to they were faced with a, a very large Chechen force outside of Rostov that possibly could have killed them all. But it, it was it would have been bloody. And in fact, there was bloodshed. Right. There were helicopters and planes reportedly shot down by the by the Wagnerian mil- military as they did their convoy and pa- apparently missiles got dropped on on some Wagnerians and supposedly killed. I mean, again, fog of war, I don't know how much is true. I've heard as many as eight planes got shot down or planes and um helicopters and big surge reports only two, right? So but so there was a conflict. I just don't think Putin was cert- in the particularly right now facing a counteroffensive that they're dealing with, but you know they don't they don't need to have a bloody mess or something bloody in their back doors, um, in their backyard, and or in their home country while they're trying to fight counteroffensive in in Ukraine. So um, that's how I see it. I think he was in a different position. I think I do think it, in a sense, it does show a kind of weakness, a, a kind of a fear. For the for the Russian state to not do this, I think some people are saying now the Russian state is strengthened. I don't see it that way. I actually do see this as reasons for the U.S. to think, okay, if we keep pushing, if we keep pressing, maybe new cracks will form. And that's that's my read on at least. Is that a, is that an answer? Uh, yeah, I suppose that what I'm seeing in Sources, I this may 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 not be relevant or important, but I guess when there was a so-called interaction as well in Brazil, when uh, Lula was uh, taken into presidency, taking the presidency, there was uh, also uh, an uprising, very small in comparison to what we're seeing here in Russia. But the USA was saying, "Well, look at the people down there; they're copying us." And I mean, the January six folk, right? And then suddenly. It's demonized, right? It's demonized. But suddenly this coup is happening, right? And it's being celebrated. And the way I see it in the news, like it's it's sort of mainstream news. It's like, oh my goodness, oh, okay. people are not actually happy with what's going on in Russia. Look, even even uh, Putin's own um, uh, mercenaries are, are going against it. It's like, this is being celebrated. So I guess that just it just shows to me Again, that's why I said this may not be relevant, but it shows to me the narrative you place on what's happening in different places of the world and how it benefits the USA. 
in this case, it's this is benefiting the U.S. I'd like to see that potential civil war, which I'd like for you to delve into, but uh, not celebrate any any attempt of a civil war, which is pathetic for the 6th of January here in the USA, right? Uh, and even talking about civil wars in Russia or the USA, I would say it's going to bring down this episode. We're going to get a strike because that is promoting any sort of um, or um, instigation, I guess. I don't know how you would label it, but I guess that's what I'm afraid of. We're going to be taken down. Yeah, but, it's, but it's that's regardless only, of just like in my opinion, it is the only way nuclear war will be avoided. It is not going to be avoided because Putin is going to save us from nuclear war or Xi Jinping. Say it again. I'm not sure how to say it. Anyone else? Can you just Xi Jinping? I say Xi Jinping is not going to save us from nuclear war. Joe Biden ain't going to save us from nuclear war. Donald Trump ain't going to save us from some nuclear war. Robert Kennedy Jr. is not going to save us from nuclear war. This shit is. Is written on the rails of capitalism, and so unless unless internally these governments are brought down by their own people and new institutions built by those people, it's we're not. This is I just let me just say this: Senator Graham and Blumenthal. I can't remember what their name is. They recently put forward something in the Senate that that said this: that said if if there's any tactical nuclear weapon dropped on any part of NATO then we reserve the right to strike back with tactical, tactical nuclear weapons. And furthermore, that when they added the not just tactical nuclear weapons, they said, but and also, if a nuclear power plant should blow up and, and somebody in NATO gets affected by that, that is, that is the same trigger. They're calling that the same trigger as saying, we will go in and defend NATO. NATO will need, need to go into the war, right? So uh, people have heard about the nuclear power plant in Zaporozhia. And that it is very to me, it's fairly clear that the U.S. has and Ukraine has targeted that as a as a way of drawing NATO and Poland into the war. And so this is the new language that that Senator uh, Graham and this other guy who's a Democrat are bringing forward, which is to basically say, if a nuclear power plant should happen to be destroyed, and they're kind of saying Russia would destroy it, and Poland or any NATO power get itself irradiated from that. We will call that a nuclear attack on Poland or on NATO, and we reserve the right to then say, well, of course, NATO gets involved, Poland gets involved, and the U.S. has the right to potentially use tactical nuclear weapons if such an, in, su in such an eventuality. Now, what does that show? Again, it shows, it shows this thing is escalating. We weren't going to use tanks. Here come tanks. We weren't going to bring in F-16s. Here come F-16s. Nuclear weapons weren't going to be talked about. Oh, now they're being talked about. In Russia... Apparently, there's academics who are basically talking about how Russia needs to start using tactical nuclear weapons on Europe in order to change the game in this war because it's lasting too long. So on both sides, everyone's trying to end this thing. And there's no way it ends well uh, with given these characters in play. And I don't mean get rid of Putin. I mean, this, the, the way the system is set up, it's, it, it's, it's happening. It's leading there. And so civil war is the only answer. And so for leftists to be like, oh, this person's being insubordinate. Oh, this person is, you know, uh, is not um, is trying to take down the Putin government. And that's that's like mutinous. It's like, honestly, leftists kind of should be celebrating civil wars in any place. And they should be celebrating militaries going to the side 
Now, there's no movement here. There's no social movement going on in Russia that the military is siding to. So that's why I wouldn't even call it this. But our instinct is to is to support mil- insurrections in the military and in and in the in the populace. Now, in our case, we've got to make that happen here. If it happens over there and we are celebrating it because we think the U.S. is going to win the war, then that's an entirely different ballgame. But if you want an end to capitalism, you want insurrections. That's just the, the bottom line. Insurrections are going to be part of ending capitalism in capitalist states. And I do think it's the only way we're going to avoid this, the, what I feel is like an inevitable nuclear war. Do you think that the U.S. objective all along has been to actually detonate a, a nuclear weapon? I don't know that. I think I I would say the U.S. objective is. You mean at this point, do you think that they want to get that to happen or do you think that even starting from the beginning? Well, I'd like to hear your answer to both, actually. I would have said that they thought I think they thought that Ukraine was going to be more successful at bleeding Russia. And it hasn't been as successful as they liked. They were enthusiastic in the beginning because they thought they were getting somewhere. But I think they're seeing that that fighting Russia is is actually weakening NATO. It's weakening those countries. It's taking weapons away from the United States that they need to fight China. And so I think they're getting nervous. And so I at this point, I think the reason nuclear weapons are being talked about is because they're trying to figure out how to change the game. So I would say that my guess is they thought they could defeat Russia and bring them down without dropping a thermonuclear bomb. They thought they were just going to bleed them and 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 make them a weak country and then they could just topple them fairly easily after they had essentially defeated Russia in their proxy war in Ukraine or weakened Russia. So I don't I think they were not intending to use nuclear weapons. And now they're like, all right, plan B. That's my guess. You know, like, I I don't know. Like, I also obviously, I share that conclusion in the sense that that's how I see the world. You know, these sides are playing a game, right? Uh, To win, to win it all, you know, and they're going to have to risk it all. They have to be willing to put it all on the fucking line, you know, to win. They're not trying to share. and so that's why I personally make a similar, you know, like assessment that th- that is, you know, like the worst, worst case scenario, like, you know, and, and obviously like things like the Wagner quote unquote uprising shows that things can happen, you know, things that you don't predict, you know, because a lot of these fuckers plan, you know, and and this is where I disagree with a lot of like people like Scott Reader or Garlic, you know, I don't listen to everyone that you listen to, but, you know, I keep up as much as I can. And in the sense that they keep talking about our, the leaders that are fighting these wars as idiots, as incompetent idiots, you know, and, and, and I disagree with that. <laughs> you know, like I do that. That is a fallacy to make that assessment that these people are dumbasses. You know, they are playing a fucking game, you know, to the best of their ability to win. You know, and I, I personally don't think that detonating the nuclear war is the goal, but it is the fucking hammer, you know, that, that they have to use. And if they're losing in order to turn the title of the fucking war, they have to drop that shit, whether it be Russia or be the U.S. You know, if they feel against the ropes, they will, you know, and, and 
and in the process, you know, I don't know how much this war is uh, going to last. Uh, you know, like I, I feel that cogn- in 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 the in our social like cognition or you know awareness, I feel like this is a remote thing. You know, this is presented as a remote thing. Often, I don't think in, enough people understand the gravity of of, of this you know conflict. Um, because it has been, you know, removed from our, 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 our daily, you know, like consciousness. Even that uprising was like lasted two days. You know, they they go back and forth between some bullshit, some submarine, or some bullshit. You know, but that is going on. Uh, the risk of nuclear war is there, and in the meantime, you know, they're also fine tuning other fucking machinery that is also destructive, right? Like because a lot of times we do get uh, caught up with nuclear, you know, weapons and stuff. But let's not forget that they fucking like bombed the shit out of the fucking, you know, many places in, in the Second World War, right? Drone, te- drone technology is fucking being fine-tuned in this fucking, you know, and guess what? That shit is going to navigate, for, you know, to us too. So, you know, because in order to control, to keep going, you know, and battling, the playing the big game, they have to control their own populations. So it's a feedback mechanism, you know, that... You know, as that war gets worse and worse, our conditions will get worse and worse too. You know, and you know, it may not be apparent that such a conflict that's far away, you know, and some other people you hear that are getting, you know, they're going through a meat grinder, you know, um, because there is horrific, there is like, at least from what I hear or I understand, there is masses of death happening, you know, in, in, at the levels of world war, you know, that, you know, Thousands and thousands upon thousands of people are dying, you know, have died, you know, and I don't, I don't, and even though they talk about it, we don't really have a fucking sense, you know, and, and again, like, yes, nuclear war, you know, and, and I don't think that is the, 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 the first weapon, you know, to go to, and, but, and that's my point that in the meantime, they're going to continue to use other shit. You know, that is going to, you know, continue to grind people, you know, put people to a meat grinder and and, and they're going to run out of room. There's only so much Ukraine they can fucking, you know, use like you said, Lipson. they have, you know, Poland, they have the rest, you know, they have Europe. <laughs> Europe is a buffer fucking zone for the U.S. Yeah. You know? And that's the reason for the Graham bill right now. It's, it, it is not to the U.S. has already has in their national defense strategy has already reserved the right to use tactical nuclear weapons, even if nuclear stuff isn't involved. So they don't need this they need this resolution to give them the right to use tactical tactical nuclear weapons. The, what this bill lays out pretty much is the is the game plan for how if if the Zaporozhia n- n- nuclear power plant gets blown up somehow, how that can become the basis for drawing Poland into the war and then NATO into the war. And that's where the next round of troops are going to be found because yes, U.S. has already talked about how they're training up a new set of Ukrainians, but but they've lost like three different Ukrainian armies already, and the third one was lost in this counteroffensive, and it's being lost. Even though that they, they, they still got brigades ready to come in on the counteroffensive, this counteroffensive has been a complete failure. Um, it it basically has still not even penetrated to the first lines of Russian defense, and the Rus- Russia has three lines of defense, each getting consecutively more difficult, and. Ukraine hasn't even gotten to the first line of defense and it's lost 15% of their Bradleys and a bunch of equipment and a bunch of people in what's called the crumple zone, basically the zone that Russia set up as a defense that says we can retreat from that to the first line of defense, but 
this is that zone that it can flex like this. And when we retreat out of it, we shell whatever comes into it with artillery or with has it dies from mines or we have helicopters that shoot at it or drones. And that's what's been happening. And and the, and so the 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 Ukrainian counteroffensive has been drawn into this fire zone and hasn't even arrived at the first line of defense. Um, and by any stretch, it's it's a complete failure. I mean, I remember hearing Petraeus, who was one of these people on the West, General Petraeus, who said the counteroffensive needs to be successful in the first 36 hours. And if it's not, then we got a problem. And now they're they're saying a different tune. It hasn't the counteroffensive hasn't even arrived at the at the first line of Russian defense. So in that regard, the 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 strategy of Jaras Jarasimov and Shoigu of of waiting, you could call this a success, but it just that it means that the war will continue and and the U.S. has already got its plan for how it's going to draw other forces into this war. So the, the war doesn't end. It brings in Poland. It brings in Europe. And again, it doesn't end because the U.S. understands they have to, you know, push, yes. continue to grant, you know, and, and like I think, like, again, that's why I also disagree that this was a mistake. The neocons are, you know, their project is falling apart. It's like, no, they, you know, they know that we're going to go into a fucking fight. Yeah, I agree with that, Ken. If they did not start this war, then U.S. was done. It was going to find itself economically in a box that it would not be able to even use this military to break out of. So they knew they had to do something. So if they're going to be the big, if they want to continue to be the top dog, they had to do this. So I I agree with Kenny. This was never a dumb move. This is just the move they had to make. You know, and like, I think in the past, we've talked about like the 10-year plans, right? And like, how they, they they plan ahead is not this just wasn't decided yesterday you know remember we already talked about it right like how even the the ukraine quote unquote crisis didn't start with putin you know having a quote unquote special military operation you know it started years before with obama you know like and again it doesn't fucking matter what you know who's in office like the plan is going ahead and there may be some discrepancies right like in in but but the the imperial plan is moving ahead because they have to. They have to use the hammer. They have to crush and crack heads and skulls and and you know use people as like uh, you know shields and 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 you know so on and on and on. And so again, this is no mistake. <laughs> That's I guess my point. This is no mistake. You know, this all has been calculated in we are on the line too like you know our yeah. lives we think that you know yeah we get distracted with all this bullshit but it can turn on a dime you know and, and i think that's what i take from this wagner uprising you know that there is obviously we like we have to go through other filters right in, to, in order to understand what's happening um and but things can change in real time and that includes you know the big one, right? Like nuclear war, um, and 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 that's you know where I wonder, you know, how how much these automated systems play into you know accelerating, uh, you know, destruction in a way that we've never seen before. That I don't think we can comprehend, right? Like we've only like sort of had a whoever thinks about it, right, has a morbid uh, like fantasies of the future about, but you know, like. 
the fact is that we are in a more advanced, well, I don't even know if that's the fucking word. We have more technology, <laughs> more technology to be able to do greater damage to more people faster. Right. And it's just worth remembering every time we've talked about technology, how many times we've always said, oh, this was DARPA. Oh, this was, so this is what this all is about. It's always been about dividing the world up and conquering the world. Because they were there, there in the backdrop to all this creative technology has always been the US military, at least in, in terms of the technology we create, um, like that's created in this country. Um, and I completely agree. I Again, I would say this is moving inexorably towards greater conflict, towards nuclear war. The only way we can avoid this is civil war at home. And the biggest barrier to our civil war right now is Donald Trump and RFK Jr. Because everyone thinks that that they're that they're an answer. And what they are is the they are they are the morphine into the system so that we can carry on with this nonsense. I just want to add Dr. Cornell West and you know yes. you know like you know it could be that could be said for any any politician Putin, the people who are like outsourcing, oh, yeah, like go Russia and that, and then, you know, what you were saying at the very beginning. And and anyone who thinks they can change the system from within or are still waiting for that magical, you know, savior, like you're a fool, you know, and, and, and you know, if you want to make it in that system, you will have to get dirty and be vicious, you know. And I'm just because I just have people in mind, you know, that are still in those circles that, that 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 think that they can change, that they're the saviors, you know, they're the different person, you know, without understanding the magnitude of a system, you know, that uh, doesn't have one person really driving it. Yeah, I I don't know if this metaphor is in poor taste, but I'm just thinking like Kenny about what you said about your and Christelle's experience in the hospital of like you went in. And everything that she feared would happen happened (laughs) because it's set up. It is systematically set up that way. And it's the same on this massive, like geopolitical stage. I I think that's a very good analogy. I agree. And like, you know, the thing that I guess I've had to contend with is that, you know, like obviously learning that, these chains that you know that pull you into the fucking machine are everywhere you know these tentacles you know in every facet of life you know from birth to death and 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 you know and it's hard because playing nice is not how we're gonna fucking do this you know going along with it it's not you know and 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 it's hard to be abrasive right and like and and just fucking like be straight up and say no like fuck this you know and again, like in isolation, we can't do this because it fucking needs your life. You know, it has to be a collective effort, right? And like, because like, again, no one person is going to do it by themselves. <clears throat> right. And that's where playing nice will become important because we are going to have to figure out how to be nice to each other, whether we be black or white, immigrant or not immigrant, woman or man. I'm including transgender, (laughs) 
um, <laughs> or gay or straight or whatever, we are going to have to learn how to collaborate and actually build bonds with each other in order in order to have that civil war that will actually accomplish this, we are going to need to build that first. The civil war is not first. The connections are first. Well, and I, I mean, that just takes us back to the question that I feel like we so often come back to on this show of like, well, what, what does revolution actually mean? What could it look like in 2023 or 2024? Cause I mean, you say civil war, like that conjures a certain, fairly antiquated I, I think like in most people's minds in the American like zeitgeist um and I don't know it's like the exit and build right that's like a whole thing that we've explored from different angles and like you, you can be nice outside the system <laughs> you know there are ways to you know but but yeah like it it's just, it can't be changed from within. Totally agree. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 we we'll might have an, ep we'll probably have an episode to talk about that. Talk about sometimes. Um, what do we mean by revolution? Yeah. I think we had an episode about that, and I don't think we clearly answered it. I do. I have a question, and I don't know if this is bringing us back, you know, but. I, I don't quite understand what Lukashenko gets out of this. You know, I don't know if you want to try to stab at that or. I mean, they, I believe that Belarus um, is putting itself next to the empire that is going to be the next powerful empire. Part of the next is in the same way that Britain collapsed and the United States took over their empire. I believe that. The Belarusian president sees Russia and China as taking as forming the base of the next empire of the globe. It'd be nice to be second, second, you know, having done a favor to a big power right next to you. Um, I think you'd have reason to believe you'd you'd be in a good situation if that was the case. That's how I look at it. So the, he's he believes Russia's going to win. They're an ally, and uh, they're in it to win it, like ride or die with you as the empire gets built and something good will come our way. That's how I, you know, cause, and they got Poland right next door, which is on the other side, you know, so you got, they're picking their sides and they're getting the tactical nuclear weapons that will make them relatively safe uh, in a, in a world that's getting more dangerous in their mind. Mm hmm. As we conclude, you know, I've, excuse me, I've been feeling a little disoriented, discombobulated around this notion that, I mean, I, I had a, like, I don't know how to explain this, that everything we read, everything we, are uh, the information inundated with information is not is but is everything's a lie you know this is this is i mean there are maybe a few things that are true you know nine but 90 percent of it is a lie and i remember 
feeling that way before in as a Jehovah's Witness, but then entering leftist liberal politics, you kind of were told, well, there's other alternative news sources. And so then I thought, okay, well, maybe I'm in the know because I'm listening to alternative stuff. But but it's like I'm entering this phase of what the the the, the Substack you sent us was talking about how everything I'll just read what he said. Um, there's something to be said here about the analytic model that prevails in our time. There's a machine that instantly springs to life, taking in rumors and partial information in an environment of extreme uncertainty and spitting out formulaic results that match ideological presuppositions. Information is not evaluated neutrally, but forced to a cognitive filter that assigns meaning in light of predetermined conclusions. Russia, in this case, is opposed to collapse and undergo regime change. Therefore, Prigozhin's actions had to be framed in reference to this assumed endgame. And that is how I feel we've been seeing everything. It's just, uh, you know, it's just been filtered through what the ideological assumption is supposed to be. And then it talked about how there were Ukrainian propaganda machine kicked into overdrive as soon as this was happening and how uh, they were bombarding social media with fake stories about Russian army units uh, mutinying and regional governors defecting to Prigozhin. Uh, these were stories that were like sent out through Ukrainian sources. So when you're flooded with this much information and trying to just to sway a certain the audience and the public it just is so scary because then you just realize you are in a narrative through language that people have created and consented together that you don't know left from right or up and down and so i i'm just feeling just as we end and conclude here i'm just feeling a bit overwhelmed and unsettled do you know yeah and like bled bled dried too like you're talking about like russia right like bleeding russia out but it's also like i mean obviously on an economic level like the u.s population our tax dollars like are increasingly going to weapons right so like we're all being increasingly pushed to the edge economically socially culturally and then from an information standpoint too like i don't think you're unique in that just like exhaustion and discombobulation like yeah i mean i'm i'm feeling that like especially right now just after having like a little teeny digital detox it's like you come back it's just like holy shit like it's exhausting and if like 99.9 percent .9 of the information that you're reading is like not even true <laughs> you know sort of just exasperated mm -hmm. like what's the point yeah i yeah, think so. what i would say is we're the things that were true are crystal siamara and kenny that's true jessica <laughs> the weekend you had that's true like the week you just had with your comrades was true me and brandy in iceland was true and like it's physical experience that's true 
this the rest of this is us attempting to make sense of things that that we're being told that we we can't we can't know now we can watch how events take place and make a little bit of sense of it um this was where people get down to the point of saying well maybe this kind of stuff isn't even important to look at there's a case to be made for that um i think we will only find truth in what we have around us and what we have around us will have to be if it gets built into something that's meaningful and can provide for us and others, then we'll have to defend it. And the defending of it will be true as well. You know, I, I think that's, you know, that is true. <laughs> and uh, like, you know, in my experience, uh, like, I don't know how many other people are going through this, but it's fucking hard <laughs> to stay, you know, in, 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 in fight back and try to be true to yourself and like try to get some more slack on the fucking leash that we have, you know, every day. Because like, you know, like doing this, you know, like just having this conversation, um, it, it's a lot of effort, you know, like it takes a lot of effort from my partner, you know, who's dealing with her own stuff and, you know, taking care of our baby, you know, luckily this week I'm not working because, you know, <laughs> but otherwise I can't be here, even though I want to be here because that fucking leash that is, you know, and, and so it's hard to stay, you know, on task and, and get together with people that um, are willing to, you know, build that. And, and I'm still trying to figure out how to, how to, you know, do that, you know, how to find that, those people you know and because we moved we were dislocated and i guess i'm not saying it's impossible it's just that it, it has to be done that's the only way i agree with you and it is hard and it's gonna be fucking hard and you know and we have to acknowledge that you know we're not okay <laughs> a lot of times you know and 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 you know fortunately i think i have a sense and i i fight those voices in my head that you know, to make it about a, some sort of failure, a personal failure, you know, like, because I feel like that's how it's, the narrative is built too, right? Like that it's you and, and your fault if you're struggling. And, um, but again, all these, that's why I talk about those tentacles that fucking try to fucking bring you back, you try to grab your leash and, and, you know, and so, yeah, just hope that everyone's taking care of themselves and, when we can find a way to stay connected. And that's why each week when we when we talk about what do we want to talk about, I think that's a, that's an open question, right? Like, and it's not a question of what do people want to hear or what are people interested in. The question is what do we want to talk about? This is what I wanted to talk about because this is what's on my mind. This is what I pay attention to. And I wanted to kind of like spend that time with people who I really respect and love that just talking about this and, and seeing what they would say about it. Um, beyond that, that's, that's what this was to, for me today, you know, and if somebody, somebody wants, if this helps make sense of something for somebody, cool. If somebody says that was, these people were full of shit or Andy was full of shit. Okay. But it really was just me having some time to think about how is this world constructed in, in relationship to this event? And I think Jessica, when you connected it to Kenny's experience, that's like those are the kinds of things that help me go. Yeah, 
These are patterns in the world that are going on that I think need to be disrupted and broken down. But next week, we might need to talk about tinctures. Well, actually, I was going to say, Kenny, that lemon balm is a nervine that I gave you. So give it to Christelle. It's fine for breastfeeding. <laughs> it couldn't hurt at the very least. <laughs> and some lion's mane. Lion's mane is <laughs> <nerves> too. <laughs> All right. Well, let's conclude. Uh, thoughts and energy vibes and everything over there at with the land defenders that have been arrested this month i just wanted to say because want to make sure that we're keeping track and we're being updated with over there thakurpas so our thoughts are over there and people should go there um and their ongoing lawsuit where they're now being prevented from praying on the site as yeah. well yeah there's a lot of updates on oxam camps like thank Twitter you Instagram. yeah more than um, protect thakurpas Okay. okay. I'll put that link. I've been trying I've been having a Thacker Pass link in our in our show, so um I'll include that. Thank you, Jess, for telling us that. And welcome uh, back, Kenny. It was good to have you here today. Yeah. yeah. Um I'll try to make it, you know, but for now it's still hard. So today was like one up for now. But yeah, that's fine. Dude, if I ever have a baby, you guys are gonna see me for like six months minimum. <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> We're going to put you on suspension then. But honestly, honestly, it's not the baby that's the problem. It's the fucking job. Yeah. yeah. yeah <laughs> All right. Let's conclude. Este... Well, <clears throat> that does it for this week's episode. Uh, What's Left is a weekly political podcast slash channel challenging the mainstream left. We post information about our topics and our guests on the episode notes wherever you found this episode or on our blog at whatsleftpodcast.com. You can find past episodes to this podcast slash channel there and connect with us. I remind folks, if you like anything you have heard here, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications and to any of our platforms on Spotify, iTunes, Podcast, Stitcher, Google Play, BitChute, Odyssey, Rumble, or Telegram. Uh, uh, please find us there because we may not be on YouTube. <laughs> There's so many of these episodes. I always say that, but they're always giving us strikes. So somehow they're keeping us on a tight leash there. And also people, if they haven't checked out the live streams, you have to go to the separate tab if you're watching on YouTube. So if That's you're right. wondering where we've been for three weeks, um, you might just go over to the live stream tab. Thank oh, you. I didn't know that. Yeah. You still true. show up in people's feeds and like notifications, but I know there's some people who are like really used to our. That's very true. Yeah. You can find our blog in any of those links in the episode notes where we found this episode. And if you would like to give us feedback about something you heard or suggest something for us to cover, contact us through our blog. We have to get that person from Bristol. I was looking forward to having that conversation. Andy, please get him on as soon as possible. I'm Eduardo Barca, Cocos, Jessica, Kenny, Cepeda, and Andy Lipson. Thank you all very much. And you will find us on our social media handles as at Don Eduardo Barca and at ZKE on Instagram and just as Twitter friend as jhomie89. Uh, thank you all for listening. Ciao.